0: This episode of the Modern Jumper podcast with Mike and Mike is brought to you by Dream Symbols, manufacturers of handmade, hand-hammered symbols at very affordable prices. So please follow them on Facebook and Instagram. Just search for at Dream Symbols and check them out.
1: What's up, guys, and welcome to episode 126 of the Modern Drummer Podcast with Mike and Mike. It is going to be an awesome day, and we've got a ton of stuff to talk about. Most of the drum industry is prepping for NAM, so Mike and I will talk a little bit about that. In our educational section, we'll talk about exercises for developing your weak hand. Our featured artist this time is none other than the great Questlove. In our gear review section, I'll be checking out the 15-inch Minel Pure Alloy Hi-Hats. We'll get to a bunch of your listener questions, and as always, we'll give you our picks of the week. So let's get started. Woo! man how
0: excited are you for nam hey <laughs> you know it's actually <laughs> snuck up and i haven't even thought about it until oh really for, okay i mean this year i'm trying to avoid you know locking in too many meetings because those end up just being chaos mass chaos yeah. for me because it's right. like they want to do a half hour and then i've got to run to somewhere else a half hour and inevitably it's three floors down or something
1: and so, you run into 20 people during that time that you haven't seen in 5 years yeah, just you're to get on to be the polite.
0: escalator and then you're like oh no. yeah I got to go to the bathroom but good luck finding a bathroom that you can actually get into so and then you realize you haven't eaten in 7 hours
1: <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> you just you just see some some guy walking by with a bag of jelly beans you reach in grab a handful stuff it in your face and You're like bro oh, not man. now not so, now
0: what my uh, my trick is to fill up on breakfast like an enormous breakfast so then I'm not even okay. thinking about food until dinner time and then it's it's okay But, yeah, Yeah. it is next week, isn't it? Goodness gracious.
1: I'm skipping it. This is my first year skipping it in a very long time. No fair. you got to
0: come down. I know.
1: (laughs) (laughs) No, I think I'm okay. (laughs) I would. Honestly, I did want to go. And, I mean, I actually kind of need to be there. I've I've got quite a few uh, meetings with people from different countries that I just can't meet with any other way. But uh, Carter and I are starting a camp on the Saturday of NAM. We have orientation that evening. And I just knew that if I was, since I wouldn't be flying, I'd be driving. If I was driving back and forth, I didn't want the campers to feel like, like mm. I just whisked in, like, hey, all right, let me uh, just try to, uh-huh. yeah, we'll figure this out. You know, I want them <laughs> to get here and be like, okay, this is clearly prepared for. And, He's ready for us, you know. Well, I, don't I mean, Carter's going to be at damn. <laughs> well, I'm aware of that, but he's flying, and uh, and he has me to hold it down. Like he gets to be like the aloof artist, right? And I just, I'm, I'm like, all right, guys, there's what we're going to do, and it's going to be, oh, and it starts man. at 10 a.m. on the dot. And <laughs> Carter might be here, or he might—he might be a little late. No, you know, I, I, I think it's going to be pretty he rad. He and
0: I were literally talking about that exact thing—that exact thing—last night. Like, he was like, "What's my role going to be?" I'm like, "You're just going to be the guy that just plays, <laughs> He's like, exactly, yeah. dude." You <laughs> just be have awesome. All the details and all the structure. You just be the guy that just plays. <laughs> you
1: just be awesome. That's all you got to do. And then, and then I'm the guy that every time you do something awesome, the entire class looks at me like to say can you do that and then i just have to smile and be like nope i cannot (laughs) but yeah i'm excited it'll be fun and it's still odd to me but this will be our first time ever meeting yeah you mentioned that too uh,
0: i thought that was strange but i guess that's you know east coast west coast you haven't been over here in a while so
1: no no so should be good so you're getting ready for nam um well you you
0: will be. Yeah. Um, yeah. I mean, I'm all good. the, you know, all the pre-show press is coming in. There's going to be some interesting products. I'm curious about a few things that are coming out that, uh, how they're going to be received. Okay. In particular, there's two, Anything two of the you major can, brands. Nah, you can't tell us, nah, right? Yeah, I can't tell you. There's okay. definitely a new symbol, uh, series okay. that's coming out that is either going to be, everyone's going to dig, not everyone, but the, the target market is going to love it. Or it's going to be like, A total lead balloon. I have to ask you.
1: Okay, we (laughs) might we might literally just change the world
0: right now how has Nam
1: not introduced a Tinder app where you walk by everyone's booth and you give them a hot or not and then just calculate the results at the end and it's totally open to the public and it's like okay cool now we know.
0: You don't have dinner with them at the end of the show and what's the goal? That's what I'm saying the
1: the goal is that we get a real reading of what people think of your product because I don't know I've seen those I've seen those Nam awards where it's like most innovative product of 2016 I'm like really nylon tip sticks were the most innovative, I think
0: someone paid you.
1: Yeah, I don't, I'm not I'm, sure I'm, who does
0: the voting for that. I'm <laughs> not involved Horse-Bucky. in that, so
1: <laughs> but yeah, there's a there's, a
0: there's a new symbol series that could be really great or it could just okay. be something that I'm not sure what's going to happen and then there's an accessory item coming out that I think another company had tried before and maybe didn't do super great with so I'm, I'm okay. again, I'm just curious to see how some of these Seems like there's maybe a little bit more innovation this year coming, um, as compared to the past year or so. So You got to do me
1: one favor when you get over to the A and F booth. You got to check out the fourteen by four nickel over brass. Mm. So, from what I understand, Rami was uh, the president of A F was able to track down the family that did the nickel over brass in the 20s for Ludwig. The family still owns the nickel plating business, and the grandson nickel plated these A and F snares in the same way they were done back in the 20s. Um, well. So he's going in. Well, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah, he's going in, man. So I, mean, that's I, great. I, I, yeah. I have only seen these in pictures. Um, and now that I own one of those drums,
0: I'm like, let's see what you got. Yeah. Uh, well, I mean, there's other elements of that sound. Sure. You know, of the, course. But I th- I'm very curious to check out that. So, and the uh, the bass drum muffler thing that he kind of developed Dude, looks pretty neat. That kind of looked actually kind of cool. It, everything um, he makes kind of has like a... Um, that's the vibe it's a certain aesthetic like I, I imagine everyone not everyone but most of the guys who really dig his aesthetic also do their own coffee beans <laughs> you
1: know like yeah, they pour yeah. over and, brew they all have, and they have triumph motorcycles <laughs> and the helmet doesn't have a visor yeah. and you know i i get it but i will say this like the other thing that he does is every time he does something i go
0: why the hell hasn't anyone done that before i mean that's like, what i said that you know before like some of these timeless pieces that all these companies are chasing after, why didn't the original just come back out? I mean the two piece brass show where is it? Why isn't anyone doing it right? But come on, you know, give me a two piece brass show that's what I,
1: <laughs> I gotta say though when he, when he put uh, and by the way, if you guys don't know what we're talking about, just check out uh. A&F's Instagram channel. They've got this little bass drum attachment that would be almost similar to the way you would attach a cowbell to your bass drum, but it allows you to attach things that actually hit the rezo head. So you can hang a tambourine on your rezzo head with this attachment. You can yeah. hang a muffler, you can, <clears throat> you can hang a uh, wire brushes and almost give it like a, or, uh, I think he actually had snare wires. There so wires, it was big like,
0: fat snare drum with the tambourine jingles. Man, yeah. when I
1: heard that, I was like, "Okay, that that wins." Uh, I and it seemed like it had some sort of Velcro attachment to it. So yeah. I'm excited to see if that's just Rami being Rami, or if that's an actual A and F product that's going to be on the market. Um, I Pretty actually sure have no is. inside information yeah. on
0: that, but yeah, I'm I'm excited to see where things go. Um, <clears throat> yeah, so, I mean, I'll be. Uh, if anyone is interested, I'll be flooding the Modern Drummer Instagram page with hourly posts of new products and i like i try to like to dig into the booth so i'm not like just doing the big display item i try to find like right. the small little things that that cool i think are cooler i mean the big kits with the flashy finishes are awesome but i want to find the you know the weird little gadgets and stuff so
1: i will we'll be home uh f- living vicariously through you buddy <laughs> sweet well Enjoy but but the- my
0: studio will be hella
1: clean when Carter gets here. And <laughs> he's he can got, just
0: go ahead and think that's how it is. He's got some products that he's going to be announcing at the show. Yeah, I know. I am really <laughs> excited about it. I don't <laughs> want to
1: talk about it. <laughs> yeah, goodness gracious. Uh, good stuff. All
0: right. Well, let's get into some education, buddy. Hey, what about our intro guy? Oh, Kelly. Kelly. How about that beat? Oh, and by that the way, we forgot, we forgot to... Uh, credit ryan for last week's closing beat (laughs) as i was was editing the show i'm like should i do a a voiceover like no that'd be awkward this is ryan (laughs) ryan is awesome
1: thank you for our closing beat uh yeah so thanks ryan uh he's an awesome mike's lesson student younger cat and i've just seen him grow so much so really cool
0: and uh kelly going full ambient like that's some reverb it's definitely cool he's he's a i think he's a facebook friend of mine and he's been sending me some stuff that you know along the same lines of the kind of weird effect stuff that I've been doing it's been neat to see this one's cool yeah this is one absolutely. like when you re- use reverb for a purpose <laughs> you know right, rather than yeah. make your drums sound good it's like here's just Do you a
1: think his purpose great... was is there any way I can make Mike Johnston sound like less of a moron in the intro. Yes, I can. Reverb. <laughs> Let me give him at least just some some seriously tribal funk to get down to. Yeah. I got to say, though, last, was it last week where we had the full-on like, theme song? I loved song? it. I loved it. it I kind of was like, maybe we should have I one of these it. and be done. <laughs> yeah. that, it was kind of rad.
0: Um, so uh, I like that a lot. But Kelly's giving you the uh, intro in an airport vibe.
1: <laughs> <laughs> uh, you know what's amazing, though? Are our listeners kind of badass? Like, yeah,
0: Our listeners say, are rad. These are great drummers. Yeah. I mean, really I'm, cool. I'm not cherry-picking these files. It's the first-come, 1st first serve. So we're hearing pretty much everything that's come in so far. And there's know, maybe so another cool. another half a dozen more. So if you want to get your beats on the show, send them to mdinfo at com. Please include your name in the file name just so I don't lose the file. Or if it has the same name as another file, they get duplicated and trashed. So... Indeed info at modern drummer.com. So education, what are we talking about today? Oh uh
1: we also have to at some point visit my new obsession, which is vintage bass drum pedals. Oh good God. Why? Dude. No, no, I mean, only for decoration. I didn't <laughs> know they were so cheap. They're like literally 30 bucks, dude. Like, yeah, like twenty no to thirty bucks. Them. Exactly. And that's what that's what I'm trying to tell you is the all of a sudden I realized I was like, wait a minute. I know why nobody wants these. And, and I had this crazy realization that like, okay, in drums or anything that makes a sound, we can go forward in time and backwards in time. I, we went back to the 1920s for my most recent snare, and I love it. I can go see what's happening at NAMM this year, and I can love it. But in hardware, you only go forward. At no point do you go, I wish this worked less as good as it does. Let me go to a 1967 Speed King. and that And then I was like... That's why they're so cheap. There's never a time to go backwards in something mechanical to a point where it works less good than it does now. Unless you just
0: want to be that guy that's like, I have to use a speed king. Charlie Watts still uses a speed king. Yeah.
1: I don't even think he does. He just has like a hologram of a Speed King overlaid. I, I, it, it, was, it was a really great, because I was like, why are these so cheap? That's like a legendary pedal. And and it's yeah. in full working condition.
0: It's like, yeah, because it sucks. Like, oh, so, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. I'll tell you what. That's why. When you're ready to get into vintage drum thrones, I've got a couple for you. <laughs> <laughs> you want to talk about something that really has come a long way? Check out a 1965 wow. Slingolin drum throne. Oh, you're going to be bet. like – you can only imagine that every drummer in 1965 must have weighed 35, 40 pounds because these At things the most. are the flimsiest, crappiest things ever. It's a yeah, piece of man. wood with a piece, piece of leather just wrapped around it, and oh, that's it. Oh, God. You That's like,
1: crazy. Do your four sets do you, on that. <laughs> I was going to one, gonna say these we guys go. were playing all night long. You know, and th- the thing that I want to do for the camp, I kind of made a joke that I was going to make the campers do speed tests on this slingerland pedal that I posted. I'm not going to do that, but what I do want to do is I want to all the pedals I bought for thirty to forty or twenty to thirty dollars. Um, they're all playable. So, I do want to throw. I got a Speed King, I got a Ghost Pedal, I got an old Gretsch, and I got the um, Slingerland Tempo King. But I do want to throw them on the kit and just say, go ahead and jam around a little bit. And now, imagine your favorite drummer from the 60s. Yeah. This yeah. is what they were
0: dealing That's with. That's what I was going to say. So, if anyone wants to jam to a Zeppelin song at one of your camps, like, okay, but you have to use a Speed King. Like, right? <laughs> you, if you want to do good times, bad times, cool. Here's the pedal. But you, you got you to use it. Yeah, totally. You know I just, what I, I think? What yeah. I do use from those old pedals is the beaters. There's a certain sound that those old beaters ah. get that new beaters just don't get. Like yeah. when, they're sli- when they're slightly worn out and flat on one side... Yeah, yeah, for pulling, sure. I end up pulling out the old speaking beater often for recording. Well, that's a
1: that's a great point. I, maybe I'll actually give that a try and check yeah. it out. All right, let's talk some education. So I wanted to talk about left hand and building up that left hand. <clears throat> now, and I'm just going to say left hand in place of weak hand, but we obviously know there's non dominant hand or whatever non dominant hand. Yeah. <laughs> um, and then yes, I understand some of you are extra dexterous. You don't have to write us in and be like, just so you know, I don't have a non dominant hand. I'm amazing at everything. Like, I get it. For the average individual, non-dominant hand, or in my case, my left hand, how I wanted to talk to you about, let's just pick one exercise. You got a student that comes in and the student says, I want to build my weak hand. What is your exercise? How old is said student? Student is at the moment 16 years old. She's been playing for six years and she's taken lessons the whole time.
0: Okay, so serious and understands that practice is painful and grueling. Yes, and it sucks. I would, and you don't see any results. I would definitely (laughs) give her the Ed Shaughnessy three to one, three to nine. No, it's three to one, six to nine. Whatever the hell it is. It's three is one single. Holy b- crap. <laughs> do you want to cut this out and start over? <laughs> What's funny is I can see the notation in my brain. I'm like, what is it? It's one to three, three to six, three to nine. So you do one right, okay. three lefts. Yeah, you three keep rights, saying that, and I'll just voice left. over. Master
1: educator Mike Dawson gives you his. Insight on left hand development. I do have a degree in music education, by the way.
0: <laughs> <laughs> three to one, four to No, I no just tea. hit a bunch of notes. Yeah. Okay, so what is it? It's you do a single with your strong hand and then okay. three with your weak hand. You do okay. that 500 times. Okay. Then you do three with your strong hand and six with your weak hand 100, 100 times. Then you okay. do three and nine uh, 100 times. So it's Jeez. it's a five. It really is like you're like hey this 15 is going to It's a fifteen minute routine depending on the tempo, and you have to yeah. pick a tempo that you can do the whole thing without breaking. Okay. And I did that on a pillow for a couple years, and it. My left hand is still way underdeveloped, but that that kind of evened it out at that stage. I probably started doing that when right. I was in high school, so I've been playing drums for five, six years right around that point. And it okay. was huge, hugely. I mean, and we're talking strictly developing the wrist, the wrist. Now, nice. I love it, man. No, no finger a motion. Great exercise. See, so, yeah. So that's the grueling, like you enjoy practicing, and and just the grind of it. Uh, if it's someone who just wants to play and have fun, I would say learn every beat with your non-dominant hand, left handly. Yeah, I agree. It. I'm.
1: It's like kind of annoying how much I talk about this exact thing in the live lessons on <clears up> Mike's Lessons.com when it comes to this but I always say Running Down a Dream by Tom Petty and the Heartbreakers left hand lead that's hard that's hard to play normal exactly and and really the game is how far did you get this time so it's like oh I made it to the chorus and then maybe next week, it's like, oh, I made it to the bridge. And mm. so um, the other thing that I like to do with that, and this, this, these aren't my exercises that I'm suggesting yet, but the other thing I like to do is maybe play four-bar phrases, weak hand lead, then dominant hand lead, and listen to the feel. Maybe I can cop yeah. the speed, yeah. but the left hand's going like, chick, 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 chick. And then the right's got, chit chit chit. Yeah. So I'm trying to even that out as well. Um, so my exercise would be, would be the Gadsden beat, our normal single-handed 16th note groove. But the left hand ghosts all 16 notes and accents two and four. So so both hands are playing in unison, Mm -hmm. but the left hand is ghosted the whole time and still has to pop two and four. So it's a dynamic exercise, it's an endurance exercise, and then it becomes a bit of a musical independence exercise while trying to keep the bass drum groove of whatever song you're playing. So I'll put on... Uh, whatever uh, uh, you know could be um i don't know uh my own summer by the deft tones. doesn't matter like anything that's a 16th note mm-hmm. t- 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 chat and i just sit there doing it and getting that left hand quieter and quieter and quieter so it's kind of developing multiple parts of the left hand and it also really shows you like oh man i can't keep this going w- without when i move the bass drum anywhere other than 1 and 3 mm-hmm. um the other thing too is it really helps you understand the unison thing it's like wow this is really sloppy i can't play i mean i think we spend so much time on single strokes and our clarity between our notes that sometimes we forget can you play both hands at the exact same time yeah right <laughs> and this really cleans that up so and you might think i'll never use it and it's like well i do i play that gads and groove and a lot of time right after the backbeat of two there's three ghost notes so it's four notes in a row. I don't want those ghost notes to start trailing the hi-hat as I'm trying to quiet them down. Right, yeah. Um, unless I'm trying to be like our featured artist, Questlove. But I, I'd like them to be together on purpose. Now, how do and you then, snap uh, the accent out? Uh, oh, dude, that's that's tough, man. Uh, you're telling when I'm doing the all 16th notes, yeah, right? Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Um, like a quick It's just a wrist quick now? whip. Quick yeah. wrist whip. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Um, and the problem is when you put that much more effort into one stroke compared to the strokes that led up to it, it messes with your timing because you have to make that stroke much mm. faster to go from higher than it, than all the other strokes. Uh, so you have to
0: really, really focus on that. So I think yeah. – are you trying it? I can tell what the tendency would be to rush the the 16th note before the backbeat to give yeah. yourself a time, enough time to snap it. Exactly. Yeah. I don't. I don't play that one very often, and I probably should. I mean, there's definitely a song I'm having to get down to where the left hand is just going crazy. But right, uh, that reminds yeah, I me. Think, I mean, it's not a left hand thing, but I heard that when Max Roach would give a lesson to anyone, the first thing, lesson one, was quarter notes with all four limbs. That was it. That was lesson number one. Wow. And using and working on your balance, like can you crescendo each limb independently of the other limbs?
1: and think about it like we've played our whole lives when was the last time that you did
0: that exercise uh, I, mean, I mean last time I heard that Max taught that way maybe exactly. 10 years ago
1: but if you <laughs> yeah and I was going to say but and if you had never heard that story it wouldn't have even occurred to you but I would have never have done it but obviously it's, it's like can't, as soon you as can't you can't said do do that, it's like oh my
0: gosh
1: <laughs> yeah I, well, I, I have only played for 35 years, so yeah. I'm, not, I'm not even bummed at myself that I haven't done that yet. I, I'm just, on this instrument, I'm just getting warmed up. I've I'm worked almost on every
0: quintuplet over 60-note possible <laughs> variation, but I've never once played quarter notes with all four limbs.
1: My feet do metric modulation while my hands do polyrhythms, and then I say the alphabet out loud while skipping a letter and cooking But dinner. can you play quarter
0: notes at 60 BPM?
1: No, because that would be useful, <laughs> and I don't ever want to do anything useful. I only want to do things that are hard and make other musicians upset at me.
0: Oh, goodness. <laughs> goodness
1: gracious. All right, well, there's two great exercises for you. <clears throat> do the Ed Shaughnessy uh, thing that Mike can't figure out yet.
0: Okay, let me, you, some... let me give it okay. to you straight here. <laughs> it's a right and three lefts. You repeat. 100 times. 500 times. I mean, you could pick a number. Let's just say okay. 100, you know, 100 times. Then you do three rights and six lefts. Okay. You do that half as many so times as you did nine. the other one. So that would be 50. And then okay. you do three and – did I say nine? Yes, three with the right and nine with the left. You can do that okay. 50 times. So you've got a grouping
1: of four, then – um, nine, then 12. So as far as a metronome setting, do you feel this as a subdivision of triplets or as 16th
0: notes? No, it's just, it's just a steady stream of notes.
1: Okay. There's I'm just no, trying to think of no setting
0: the metronome. Yeah. There's no, oh, there is no. Oh, yeah. okay. Okay. You just gotcha. do one, two, three, four, one, two, three. Okay. You okay. Just count them, but you want to keep it, okay. keep it steady the whole time.
1: I got gotcha. you. Okay, cool. Yep. Or you, so you could just set your metronome to just the whole da, 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 da,
0: exactly because <laughs> that's so much fun. I to mean, listen it's to. it's it's designed to be torture. Drumming is torture. It's not fun. There you go. <laughs> Take that, sixteen-year-old
1: female student that's been playing for six years. Mike's gonna just. Drop the hammer on you. I mean, I think
0: when you're at that age, that's when you're like, yes, you should, yes, give me the stuff that's hard and torture. You know,
1: well, here's the other thing, especially for people in school music. This is another reason why I think school music is so important. In our lives after high school and after college, besides your job and my job, when does the average person that plays drum, when do they run into drummers ever. Like really not hardly ever unless they go to a music store or something. Where with in school I knew that ev- five days a week I'd be running into four other drummers in school band. And I always wanted to be like, what are you working on? Oh, well here's what I'm working on. Yeah. And my exercise is cooler than your exercise. Yeah. And let's trade exercises. And so I think you're right. At that age you should be just going for it and, and you got you got nothing else to do. <laughs>
0: I mean, That's I, would, so I would like watch like like MTV and just do that exercise or watch a drum video and just do that exercise. I agree. Yeah, Yeah. I agree. All right. So it's time to thank our sponsor dream symbols. They, uh, they wanted to make sure that we were aware of anyone who's going to the NAMM show that they will be there. They will be in booth seventy two thirty nine, and in their booth, they will be featuring their 10th anniversary symbols, which if you go to their YouTube channel, you can see a bunch of clips of Scott Pellegrom, uh, demonstrating that symbol so what that symbol is is it is a 24 inch small bell flat ride which is interesting it's a flat ride but it has a little bell in it, nice. and, it and they're all Weird. been uh by hand from the guys at dream so they're all completely different so it has like the you know the clean attack of a flat ride but it's it's 24 inches so it's got a lower pitch and it also opens up more because it has a bell so it's kind of a unique kind of a flat bell with more wash like a flat ride with more wash kind of neat right um so yeah so check them out they'll be at the damn show booth seventy seventy two thirty nine, and definitely go to their youtube channel asap and check out those those videos with scott pellegram i think they just posted them there might be like 10 of them or something up there so that's it thanks and dream S- scott's just fun to watch yeah each one of them is him doing something crazy with it it's cool it's very cool very cool so thanks dream and where are we at now we got to talk about
1: it's time to talk about the man the myth the legend mr Questlove. Amir Kaleeb Thompson, a.k.a. Quest. Uh, I mean, really, I can't even... I was trying to think of this earlier today. Do you think that currently there is a more famous drummer in the world? Dave Grohl? Do you think, though? I mean, Dave Grohl's famous to drummers, but I'm thinking to non-drummers. And I'm still seeing Dave Grohl right now as not a drummer, but as the leader of the Foo Fighters. Yeah, I don't know. I, I think, mean, I, think, I don't know. It's, it would be close. I, I would say definitely in The Rock it would be Grohl. But I'm trying to think we just take four drummers and drop them off in Jakarta. Who gets recognized
0: first? Well, I mean, he's definitely way more recognizable than, than Dave Grohl or Chad Smith. But I don't know. Yeah, th- I mean, okay, so let's say that he's probably in the top five. Of yeah, most. I would say he's the most identifiable figure.
1: Yeah. But yeah. I mean, and the stuff he's doing, it, it just, just like Grohl, it transcends the drum world. He's, he still is a drummer, but he's doing everything from writing, you know, cookbooks to, to being really, I mean, if you think about what he's doing with the roots on the, uh, tonight show with Jimmy Fallon, he's, he's the personality, yeah, you know, he's, almost he's like the leader. Yeah.
0: yeah. Yeah.
1: It's, it's, it's really quite incredible. And, I'm sure whether you know who Questlove is, um, most people probably got into him through his band, The Roots. But whether you know who he is or not, you do know who he is. You just might not know. But there's so much music and so much influence that he's had on the entire scene when he went in in God, I don't even know what year it was, but it must have been like the mid to late two, or uh, mid two thousands. What am I saying? Like 2004 is 2005, or maybe like even late 90s, I guess. But when he did like the D'Angelo record, which we'll talk about, but also at the same time, Jill Scott, uh, Nick Acosta, when he did all of that, everything I was listening to, not by choice, happened to be Questlove. I wasn't getting them because they were Questlove things. I was getting them because I liked the music. And I was like, oh my God, this is the roots too. And this is Quest on this. Um, that's interesting
0: yeah yeah. Yeah. I think that was the late 90s I'm not sure I mean the Roots first record came out when I was in high school and I think that was like 95 93 which record
1: Uh, the first Roots record 93 I'm trying to find it
0: now the one I remember was Do You Want More that was the one that came out and I like played along to every freaking day for like five years
1: yeah I mean that and when that uh, when that track um, You Got Me by Eric Badu came out that just was like whoa that was was on
0: I think that was on Things Fall Apart from the I mean a third or fourth record I don't remember they have so many albums I know but I mean and then
1: (laughs) doing like um, do you remember the thing he did with Christian McBride
0: yeah that was great Uh, too Uh, the Philadelphia Philadelphia Experiment experiment.
1: yeah doing that and then he was doing uh, did the album with Joshua Redman I remember and Um, was it, uh, momentum. And and then he, he was just on everything. I think though, when you look at drum history, what really set him apart from everybody was the D'Angelo voodoo record. Um, I think that that was the thing that really all of a sudden it was like, okay, we've never really heard a drummer do these things that in our minds at the time, I remember the first time I heard that album, I was positive. I was listening to the worst album had ever been created because all I was like, these are all illegal things. Now, keep in mind, I'm a West Coast kid that's not growing up in Philly. I'm not hearing this in the clubs. So I'm like, you guys can't even play in time. This is crazy. And what's really funny is Quest actually talks about that exact thing in an interview. So let's roll a clip of Quest talking about creating the feel that he had on D'Angelo's voodoo album and how uh, D'Angelo kind of pushed him in this direction.
2: You know, by the time that D'Angelo and I started the Voodoo record, which was like mid-96, that was the hardest thing ever because he constantly, like, he wanted me to drag the beat, but then he dragged the beat behind me. And so now I got to program my mind to think, okay, this is the metronome. And now he wants me to play. Which is, you know, I, I started having issues like, well, what if other drummers like the musician community is going to laugh at me? And he's like, nah, man, trust me, like, use the force. That's he's to use all these Star Wars analogies with me, like, use the force, man.
0: And I'd never seen Star Wars. So So where was that taken from? It was like a Red Bull Music Academy interview or yep. something.
1: Yeah, it's, uh, it's actually called Couch Wisdom, Quest Love on D'Angelo's Voodoo. And uh, it's from the Red Bull Music Academy.
0: What I think is cool about that is that while you can analyze it scientifically and say how far back is the back beat and how far forward is the hi-hats, I mean, even in his little plan demo there, it, he's he's just guessing. He's just, all right, let me just play behind the beat. Let me just play ahead of the beat. And
1: That was what was crazy. Like I kind of thought when he started to play that... It would be this thing that just sounded like a loop, but he just kind of messed with it. And yeah, then it was like, okay, cool, this around. technically sounds bad. <laughs> yeah. Let's stay here. But it, it made me feel better. I was like, oh, I could at least try that. I don't know if I could do it, but I could yeah. at least try it. I think that the um, trick
0: will be find one that you think sounds neat and do it repeatedly rather than kind of haphazardly would be the, the challenge. I, I cannot play in that style. My brain will not allow me to play rhythms that aren't, right. you know, have some sort of alignment. I just... I you know I respect it I think it sounds really cool when people like him do it I don't love it when when other people just kind of go right. into it I yeah. don't think it's something that you should appropriate unless you're really into this style <laughs> um, no I mean and his name is an
1: adjective for this like we've used Steve Jordan's name as an adjective to describe pocket and groove we've used Matt Chamberlain's name to describe texture and when somebody does that I'm like I either say oh you're doing the Philly thing or you're doing the Questlove love thing yeah but I never think like oh cool you must have just come up with that on your own it's like he stamped this so hard <laughs> yeah. on those albums um, you know D'Angelo jill scott eric Badu, Bilal, uh nick acosta those albums just had such a thing to him even john legend i mean he's done everything
0: yeah. and i think it's important f- to point out that he didn't doesn't always play that way like that was oh, a for thing sure. that they invented for the the you know the D'Angelo record, which is not similar to how Al Green and Al Jackson Jr. invented that sound for that period of records. But mm-hmm. Al Jackson Jr. didn't play like that on everything. And Questlo, well, and the Roots don't play like that. Yeah, they change every record. I mean, right, totally. It's like some records he'll have a fusion kit, some records he'll have a you know a piccolo snare, some records he'll have yeah. big sounding. Dr- I mean, it, so like that. While that's really captivating and it's cool, that's just one tiny little piece to what he does. Uh, yeah. tiny tiny I mean, little piece I,
1: you know I I would say the only other album that I really hear it on is um, I think it's called who is Jill Scott so it's Jill Scott's first album which he was recording at the exact same time as the D'Angelo album so that right, makes, makes sense. sense but for the most part it's all super
0: pocket um just crazy super pocket you know so I sent you a link before I think I made it a couple days ago but they they had released the roots released their own version of Jay Dilla uh, some of their favorite J Dilla beats And they recreated them Like live So I don't know if the album is still available But it's called Dilla Joints um, It is on YouTube So you can check it, it's streaming there uh, But it's it's pretty amazing They're recreating these these Produced beats, you know, live And he's playing every note of it So I wanted to also grab just a little bit of that So we'll grab just the first 30 seconds of the opening cut Which is called Hall Oats.
1: All right, now it's time to get into some candy. Let's talk about some gear. 15-inch high hats. Are you a fan?
0: I love 15s. I think they're actually my default all-purpose size these Mine days. Mine too. 14s, I, yeah. I, mean, I only go to 14s when I need something that hits and gets out of the way. 15s, I think if you had the right pairing, it kind of sits perfectly.
1: I couldn't agree more. So, yeah, right. so we're talking about the Minel 15-inch pure alloy hats. And the pure alloys were released, I believe, last year at NAMM. And it's a new series for them of machine-made, fully-lathed cymbals uh, that are all made in Germany. And have you had a chance to demo any of the Pure Alloy stuff?
0: No. I just played them a little bit at the Nam show, and they they were very clean and and pure-sounding. Properly named, it
1: sounded like. Yeah, properly named. (laughs) That's That's a minor thing. I remember that's how we got the name for the transition ride. Mitch said... Tell me what the ride does. And uh, I said, it seamlessly transitions from, and I never got any further. He's like, transition ride, done. done. I was like, okay. Moving on. I could only imagine that they asked Benny the same thing. Like, well, tell me what it does. He's like... It has a sandy feel. Sand ride, go. Oh, oh, uh, so, every time you mention that ride, I think of the bottom texture, and it just makes my teeth <laughs> hurt. <laughs> that's so funny. That is so funny. Oh, that's awesome. Yeah. All right, so 15-inch pure alloy medium hi hats. Uh, so they they don't come in any thickness other than that right now. They're just medium hi hats. And, guys, these are, like, just straight up 15-inch. I need my high hats to sound like high hats. And I think what I really like about this series from Meinl is... And full disclosure, I'm a Meinl artist, obviously, but they've really cornered the market in the dry, nasty, raw thing. They've gone about as far as you can go with the raw thing and doing the trashy thing. And now they have a somewhat affordable set of or a series of symbols that just kind of sounds like symbols. And so I could see it bringing a lot of people into Meinl that were just like, yeah, I like Meinl. I like what they're doing. I like their artists. But. Sometimes I just need a set of symbols to sound like symbols. Mm. Um, from what I understand, my A&R, Chris Brewer, he's playing the 15-inch pure alloys on his main kit right now cool. in Nashville and not to test them. He's, been, he's had them on his kit for about a year. And so I pretty much alternate between my 15-inch butter prototype hats and these. So if I'm going to do anything articulate, I'm using the 15-inch pure alloy hats. So before we talk too much more about them, let's give them a listen.
0: So I think it, it has it's has has a lower pitch than I than some of my fifteens, which is kind of surprising, so it has okay. kind of like a deeper pitch but still has that real clean attack, which is kind of hard to come by you now it's I think Mino has been brilliant in their marketing because ten years ago when I first started really checking them out, they were a heavy metal symbol I mean it was like oh absolutely only that's what brought them right and on loud. The scene. yeah, and then very quickly they went to like the opposite of that and I wonder how many people forget that these kids they were known as like a heavy metal symbol
1: primarily they were what put them on the scene was technically the vans warp tour um, oh, cool. you know thing, things of that yeah, nature yeah. Uh, that was uh, what they were endorsing they you know every artist and they um, they every artist on Ozfest it was like all the metal stuff and all of the yeah. punk pop stuff those were the minor guys and I mean I think really you have to give a lot of credit to Aaron Gillespie for bringing them to, for making them cool. Um, he was, you know, Underoath mm-hmm. was exploding and he w- he just was the thing. And so there was so much stuff. And then even Jason Bittner doing like the straight metal That's thing. That's what I remember. Um, yeah.
0: Chris Adler, Jason yeah. Bittner, those were the guys. And uh, Bron right. Daler, it was like they had all Braun the, Daylor, the modern sure. metal dudes.
1: Absolutely. Yeah. And then. What happened was, I mean, this is what people don't realize is that Meinl has only been making professional level cymbals for a little over a decade. So the Byzant series is their first venture into professional level B twenty cymbals, and that you know that brought on Thomas Lang because he was a Seljan guy. Oh um, right, yeah. Johnny Rabb had a huge part in all of this. You know, he he came wow. out with kind of all the the drumbles and all that stuff, and then I think a really th- the biggest thing that really pushed them into okay now you are now it's the big four instead of the big three was the signing
0: and the explosion of Benny Greb yeah it was kind uh, of like the perfect storm like he really came to prominence at the same time
1: yeah and he became the guy he became our new guy that we looked to for advice on sound. he was obsessed with sound and if somebody's obsessed with sound and they choose a specific company, you immediately wonder why oh why does he choose sonar drums? why does he choose minor symbols? And then after that, they filled in the gaps with the roster. It's been a really cool thing to watch. And I think that this set of symbols, the pure alloy set, gives a lot. It, it just broadens the spectrum even more mm-hmm. because now it's like, oh, cool. You guys have clean, crisp symbols.
0: Um, and That aren't and they're necessarily not for made. heavy metal. I think that's, for me, the distinction. That Good they're, point. They're all-purpose yeah. symbols rather than the bright kind of you know cut-through-the-noise symbols. These, I think, you could just use on just about anything.
1: Yeah, well, the other thing that's really cool is, and this is what Meinl Germany was pushing for, was can we make a set of B20 symbols, high-end symbols, in-house? Because if we can, we can drop the price down because we don't have to have them made in Turkey. Oh, right, yeah. Um, and so these are all made, you know, this is the first kind of set of professional symbols. They tried it with the M series a little while back, and I think that was part of the progression leading up to that's this. right. I forgot about that. Yeah. Yeah, so that was leading up to this, and, you know, full disclosure. Once again, as an artist, I don't think they got it quite right. There were certain symbols in the M series line that worked pretty good. And there were certain ones that just didn't with that process. I mean, they, none of them sounded bad by any means, but it was just, it was like, yeah, the crashes are still a little too thick. Um, the rides too pingy and everyone just kept moving towards the Byzance. And then with the pure alloys, it was like, Oh uh, yeah, I think we're good here. So these are pretty amazing symbols. Uh, And price-wise, for a set of 15-inch hi-hats, you're looking at about $340, uh, somewhere in that area. And that's not bad for a professional set of 15s, because... One thing that people forget when they look at hi hats, they just see a 15 inch symbol, but you forget there's one underneath it. So you're looking at a 30 inch ride. Yeah, right. <laughs> Think of it metal wise. It's a 30 inch ride. <laughs> this is a big piece of, there's a lot of metal. So 340 bucks to have a, a nice set of 15s. And like I said, for me, these are out of all the hi hats I have, and I have a lot here at least to demo. Uh, these are, this is my second pair. So I have my 15 inch butter hats, which are my, you know, I would say similar to just old school vintage cymbals. And then I have these for, for clarity. And you could hear even in that playing demo, when I do a little five-stroke roll on the hi-hats, you
0: hear every single note. Yeah, but it's not like, I think, again, it's not super high-pitched and bright, which is, it's like a nice blend. Right. Yeah, I'm not
1: using, exactly, I'm not using like a two 24-inch uh, extra-thick rides. <laughs>
0: uh yeah so i can we talk about the absurdity of hi-hat sizes recently like i don't want yeah. to see any more 20-inch hi-hats just stop no. it just I, I'm with stop you it we're all aware of you know
1: <laughs> what what can what's possible i mean really you know well actually these are a good example of that um you know that this is like a call back to when people made we have a 20 inch symbol, you know, uh, yeah, my buddy right. Tim Metz just brought over a full set. So he, um, I've told you about Tim quite a few, a few times, but Tim got a full set of, uh, Zildjian. Um, what is it? The A's, I guess the old, old days um, or K's. 50s. Yeah. Yeah. I think. And, uh, but they're all, um, it was all new old stock. So never been played oh, one owner that never played them and they're all brand new. And so he brought them over and it, yeah, it's cool. I mean, it's like, well, this is my 20 inch, a and this is my 22 inch a it's not a crash it's not a ride. it's a symbol and these kind of remind me of that it's like "Eh, that's just a symbol um or the uh peisty giant beats same thing yeah and so these kind of have that vibe to them so yeah if you guys are looking if any of you are looking for a good set of 15 inch hats they make 14s obviously as well but the 15s really stood out to me and you know my when my rep calls me and says look I know it's not your sound, but I have to send these to you because I think you're going to freak out. That's a good sign. Um, Yeah. You know, he doesn't say that with every single symbol that they've ever made. So uh, definitely check them out.
0: All right. You ready to get into some listener questions? I think so. What do we got here? We've got first one is from Ralph. I think we've touched on this before, but it's always a good one to bring back. So my question has to do with your thoughts on using homemade charts or roadmaps on gigs. He says, often I am the only guy in the band using one. While I'd am certainly, while i certainly rather be correct on the form of the tune, do you think I should get out of this habit? Um, if And then he says, do you guys go with a tablet rather than using the paper charts? What do you recommend?
1: Uh, that's, a, that's a really good point. I think, uh, well, one thing that stands out to me right away is, just, is that you're the only one using the chart. If I'm in a situation that's like a rock situation, I don't want to be glued to a piece of paper while my bandmates are having fun because half of our role in that gigging situation is to provide entertainment. And I can't really entertain anybody if I'm staring at a chart. If If it's a jazz band situation or a big band situation where everyone's staring at a chart, then obviously you don't look out of place. So I think for me when I do cover gigs, I have a roadmap. And I glance at it, but that roadmap is spaced out in maybe even 16 bar phrases or as simple as verses and chorus. So I just kind of, I don't really need to look to my left again until we come to the chorus. Yeah. And I I think you can definitely
0: be, um, you can be locked to that chart forever. If you don't at one point say, I'm not taking my book, (laughs) you know, like, yeah, I agree. That's something that, that I think anyone who's, who's messed with this has had to deal with is, You know, if you're doing one show, if you're filling in for somebody or it's your first time playing with this band or first time playing the song, use the cheat sheets, use whatever you need to do. But if it's your 10th gig and you're playing the same set list, leave the freaking book at home. Because chances are it's already in your memory. It's just you don't trust your memory to just go for it. So I think... At least just close the book on a couple songs and just give yourself the chance to to not disappoint yourself. Because I almost guarantee you know the song. You're just afraid. I
1: would love to have a psychiatrist take a look at what's happening to a drummer when they're staring at that cheat sheet. And how small the world is because they just zero in on a point. Yeah. And they just know that if, if you look away, you're going to see people's faces. You're yeah. going to see your band. You're going to see all these drums in front of you. And it's like information overload. You yeah. know, And I could see it being a little bit of a safety net even for the drummers and musicians that don't need it. It's just like, I'm just going to stare at this point because then I don't have to worry about performing or who might be watching me or anything like that. So, yeah, I, I agree with you. Once you've got the gig somewhat down, leave it at home. You'll be fine. And honestly besides a few obscure tunes most western music is fairly like you can kind of hear like we're probably
0: going to stop here yeah yeah it's for, it's for me it's always about finding what is the one unusual spot in the song because there's it, usually only totally. one thing it's like an extra bar yep. before the bridge or there's like a couple hits before the last chorus. right memorize that the rest yep. of you know it's going to be intro verse chorus first chorus some chorus, kind of a bridge. bridge chorus or solo double chorus out yeah so yeah every time I think just trust yourself and listen to the songs more without the chart, I think, will help, too.
1: Yeah, the the uh, shower listening and the driving listening, but not active listening. Just have it on. It just gets ingrained, and you just kind of know. Yep.
0: All right. Next one comes from, um, how do you say this? G-I-L-L-E-S. Is it Giles? Is it Gills? Or is it Gillis? <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> Either, either I think all three are pretty cool, and
1: whatever, whichever one it isn't, that's what he's going to be getting called for the rest of the day. We'll call so, him Mr. Casey. Well done. Let's
0: assume it's a Mr. Casey. There we go. Um, have you guys had personal experience with the Indian conical syllable system? If so, if so, how useful did you find it, and does it have any potential pitfalls? Great question, really great question, uh, and that's you know, trying to think,
1: man. Who could have brought that to my, maybe, maybe it was Pete Magadini that brought it to my attention for the first time. And that's kind of how I was learning odd groupings. Uh, but I didn't go very deep into it. I kind of made my own thing for odd groupings. And I, I felt that the Indian world was something that was extremely vast. And I didn't want to, I didn't want to kind of scratch the surface. I wanted, if yeah. I was going to get into it, I wanted to get into it. And I'm still so poor at playing uh, a single stroke role that I, it just hasn't been the thing that i've i've you know sought out somebody to, to learn but i obviously i went and saw steve smith play with uh the masters of percussion zakir hussein and the masters of percussion and obviously it's beneficial so
0: have you have you studied it i mean i did i studied tabla for a couple years i mean never got to the point where i could even play a composition uh, but I, f- I i think the syllable stuff helped but i don't think it's crucial like for me it was more like, why learn another language when I already know sixteenth notes and how to say them accurately? I don't need other words and syllables, uh, but I can see the benefit. Right. Where if you learn the five note syllables, then you can just repeat that pattern without having to count. Um, you know the the subdivisions in in ones and twos
1: and threes. But right, I mean, it all kind of made sense. You know, as far <coughs> as like I said, we already know our odd groupings. Uh, I, I'm always mixing up threes, fives, and sevens, and I'm just, instead of using the Indian syllables, I'm just singing get, 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 to get, to get, get, so I've I've already got a little bit of that vocabulary, and when I hear somebody play it, I'm recognizing it, but I'm not recognizing it using their language, so.
0: Yeah, yeah, so I think if it, I think it's down to if it works for you, cool, if not, for me, it was, I was afraid to not I was afraid to just trust the syllables and not keep track of where the pulse was. Like, I didn't want to allow myself to just, okay, if I just do this five-note syllable five times, it'll resolve after, you know, a measure or whatever. I didn't want to do that. I'd rather, like, where does the downbeat fall within each five, and now I'm good.
1: Yeah, well, and that's the thing, is I think we just have our own languages, and that's the language that makes the most sense to me, is exactly what you said. I need to know, like, well, are they... I, we agree that the grouping is five, but are they 16th notes? Okay, well then I can just play this in 5-4 and it'll always cycle on the downbeat uh, of one bar. Is it quintuplets? Well, then I can stay in 4-4 four, four, and it'll cycle. Yeah. Uh, am I going to stay in five in 4-4 four, four while playing it at 16th notes? Okay, then it's going to take five bars to get back to the downbeat of one. And so th- that, that mathematical side always made sense to me, so I just, same as you, just kept it there.
0: All right, we got one here from JC. Would you discuss tuning for the batter and rezo head and the shell material depth as it relates to sensitivity in a snare drum? Mm. Yeah. You just did your whole depth test. Yeah, I think... I think the sensitivity isn't really... I mean, it doesn't really... All that stuff doesn't really matter. It comes down to the bearing edge, the bottom bearing edge. How, how clean is it? How flat is it? And then tuning... I mean, I think as long as the bottom head is tight, you're going to get the maximum sensitivity out of that (laughs) drum. And then shell material, I don't think that one material is going to be more – I mean, if you have a really, really bent-up, crappy steel snare drum and a really clean, sharp edge on a mahogany drum, the mahogany drum is going to be more sensitive than the steel. Yeah. I don't think – I mean, I
1: I think that there is a thickness – component for sure because i have a really really thick snare that's um uh Gretsch new classic do you remember that line oh yeah is that they a wood, wood shell bugs. it's a wood shell and it's and and they did the, th- the thing where each drum was progressively getting thicker yeah like right. the, the rack tom was thinner than the bass drum and um the snare's a pretty thick drum and it's just not very sensitive whatsoever and um you know, I think I think the depth isn't going to really control the sensitivity. The depth seems to be what chokes the drum out a little bit. You know, and, yeah. and makes it. I played last night in uh Man on the Moon rehearsal. I played the Ludwig, the twenties Ludwig, just because the band wanted to hear it, mm-hmm. and without telling them what it did or that it was a you know two piece brass shell or anything like that immediately q goes man that's a poppy drum mm. well it's tuned the same as every other drum i have here it's just one inch shallower yeah and it just kind of goes kick and it's out of the way you know and yeah um, but i don't you, think that, so i mean that's not for me that doesn't but that's not the sensitivity it's not sensitivity
0: that's like the quickness no
1: exactly <laughs> so different. i don't think the depth really controls that and i've got some six and a half drums that if you barely brush them with your finger you immediately hear the snares yeah um and that, well, let me ask you this: Since I'm assuming you've kind of played with this, but some snares that uh, Gretsch sends here, at least all their USA snares come with the 40 wires, and then most other snares I have have 25 or 20. Mm-hmm. Do you think
0: that the amount of snare wires, if the bed can handle it, adds to the sensitivity? Again, no. I think I think the number of wires just adds or subtracts the noise factor. I think. Okay. For me, sensitivity means if I hit the drum super light across the entire head, do I get some snare response? Right. And yeah, you can get I, that, I can get that from an 8x14. I can get that from a 12x14, which I discovered. And, I, and I have some 4x14s that aren't sensitive because the edges are super round. And okay. It, and it, or something about it, it's just not, the snares aren't activating you know what now that you
1: say that I'm, I'm thinking my my broadcaster snare the one reason I don't use it is because it's not a very sensitive snare and that's round over kind of baseball bat bearing or yeah. reverse
0: round over um, which could, I, I think that's assume, a good sound yeah. for certain things I think f- like totally acoustic jazz where you don't want the snare to be super bright I mean you want something right. that's maybe not super sensitive in some situations you want a darker Dark. sound Dark. I think it translates into a darker sound because the snares aren't like Super snappy, right? Which is the high frequency of the drum itself, right? Yeah, so I, don't, yeah. I mean, it's. I think it's ultimately down to that bottom bearing edge. And he says something <laughs> about the heads. I mean, yeah, I guess if you put a coated pinstripe, it, it'll make it a little less sensitive. Little less sensitive, yeah, maybe. But I've not tested that. <laughs> I can't. I can't say <laughs> that. That's a complete hypothesis. Yeah, I mean, it's
1: it's it's funny, like. Uh, you know that you're dealing with a drummer, not somebody that owns drums, but a drummer, when you see them at a drum shop and they're grabbing every snare off the wall and there's no stick in sight and they're just tapping it with their finger. Mm. And it's like, cool, you get it. You don't have to rail a bunch of 32nd note singles on this thing to find out what you need to know. It's like, okay, I went through all of these, tapped them barely with my finger and these four responded right away. These are the sensitive drums I'm looking for. Um, and I think it depends too like what you grew up with. If you grew up only listening to rock and and the deftones and all that stuff then you probably don't need that sensitive of a drum you need a drum that you know could handle a huge rim shot where for guys like us we grew up with those ludwig
0: well what's the chrome over uh, aluminum oh that the, well that's the superphonic or the acrolyte i mean depends on right one. yeah yeah
1: superphonic you know those were our school band snare drums or yeah. drums like that mm-hmm. 14 by 5 uh, and they were very sensitive drums, and that's what I thought a snare drum should be since I grew up with it, you know, so. Yeah. I All guess. right. Did we
0: answer I think yeah. so. No. <laughs> no. <laughs> always yes. Always leave these, these discussions like, did we actually answer Well, no,
1: but I, I think, isn't that like what... The whole point of this is, is like, uh, yeah, you got to test it out. That's a, the same thing. Every time somebody says, "Hey, I got a new overhead. Where should I put it?" I'm like, freaking over the kit yeah. somewhere. Yeah, I don't know. Move it around. I think. Keep I mean, moving it
0: until it sounds good. A lot of it is, I think, knowing that, that the actual definitions of the words you're using. Like, do you want it to be sensitive or do you want it to be articulate? They're two They're two very different things, and I yeah, think agreed. I think that's kind of where I was wishy-washy like how you define sensitivity versus quickness or articulation and right they're not the same thing
1: no no, no. and i think uh uh yeah i mean uh, a 14 by 7 bell brass can be extremely articulate yeah um, or it could be really but sensitive
0: the, but it could also be <laughs> we have no idea or it could be very sensitive <laughs> but not articulate i mean it's i think it could right yeah, since it, anyway Should we move on? <laughs> I think so,
1: I think so Alright, uh, keep sending your questions If you want no answers at all To mdinfo at moderndrummer.com uh, I repeat, I have a degree out In music education <laughs> <laughs> I, am, I am schooled oh, That is great I repeat, oh, I have an educational yeah. website That is doing decently well
0: <laughs> And we have no idea what we're talking about. Uh, I might so. have been valedictorian in my high school. Who knows? <laughs> awesome.
1: Hey, I, uh, I I went with the plan C's get degrees and yeah. I just just graduated. You, which baby.
0: clearly is a much smarter choice.
1: <laughs> <laughs> All right. Uh, so it's time for picks of the week. All right. Is yours this video, or did you just send that to me for the uh, the the roots Dilla joints video? Yeah, that was just for you to check out. Um, okay, well then let's not talk about <laughs> it, but it's awesome. <laughs> yeah. Let's give it a uh, an almost pick of the week, because I, I watched it, and or listened to it, and it's fantastic.
0: Yeah, it was, I think I mentioned it in the last segment. If you YouTube the Roots Dilla joints, they were making it as a free download as the audio, but I think it's since been pulled off their website. It might have been a limited time, but I was lucky enough to grab the audio when it was available. But the whole thing is streaming on YouTube hopefully it'll be there by the time you search Aww, for it.
1: Only 3 million views. Poor Roots. Poor Roots. They are really <laughs> struggling, aren't they? Rough, <laughs> rough, rough times with these two bads. Uh, yeah, it, no, it's fantastic, and uh, it definitely, when you know that a human played it to
0: recreate Dilla's stuff, that's when it's just kind of mind-blowing. Yeah, exactly. That's. I think that's Quest of Genius of he does not stop until it's exactly the way he wants it to be. Which is yeah, that's pretty amazing. awesome all right so my pick of the week is a pretty high-end item i'm going to put that disclaimer out there uh dpa microphones sent me what are they calling this thing it's called the device but it's spelled d colon v i c e pretty clever but it's they have this it's basically a mobile um, audio interface that's that's actually like high quality audio um uh, and they have separate, several different kits. The one that they sent me came with a lavalier mic as well as a, I think it's a super cardioid condenser mic. So you can use, if you want to do live streams and you don't want to have to sync up audio after the fact, or you're going to be remotely like at a, at a show or something and you want to be able to take something that can get professional quality stuff that you don't need to worry about editing and mixing too, too much after the fact, this is about as good as it gets. Um, the interface itself is super tiny. I was shocked at how small it is. It's it's It says it's like two inches. Yeah, I mean, you can fit it in your coat pocket. It's so small. Um, and it's not thick either, so it's really discreet. And the lavalier sounded great. I used it on a... Uh, I just did like a quick tuning video on my site that I used it to test it out, and I didn't have to do any compression or EQ to my voice at all after the fact. It was just clean. Wow. Um, the cardioid condenser i put it in front of the drum kit and just played and it sounded like the drums in the room like exactly how they sounded not tons of really like pumped up low end not really harsh high end. it just sounded like my room i don't love the way my room sounds without any magic tricks <laughs> right it, sure it sounded like my room that's awesome yeah so what
1: I, i've actually never maybe i have I, i'm not overly familiar with dpa
0: yeah, are they a microphone company? They are a, mi- a high-end microphone company. I believe they're in okay. Denmark, so their U.S. presence is not quite as big as it probably will be soon. Okay, but I've tested some of their their mics for drums over the years, and they're they're you know they're super pro, like totally pro. There's awesome. there's no, uh, I think I think they're marketing this particular kit for like news broadcasters and stuff. Like okay, legit. so this is like legit legit. Yeah. I was going to ask you, have you reviewed the uh, the Yamaha EAD-10 yet? I've got it in my studio, and it's just waiting to be turned on.
1: Okay, because uh, uh, Yamaha just sent one out for me, and they were like, this might be the answer for all of your students that are looking to make drum videos for your site but don't want to get into full-blown interfaces, microphones. And I was like, and then he told me all about, uh, his name's Stephen Fisher. He used yep. to work over at Roland. So he told me all about it. We talked for about an hour on the phone and I was like, uh, dude, that sounds pretty rad. Yeah. Um, so I, I look forward, maybe we'll do a dual review cause I'll have it and you'll have it and we can oh, cool. let people know when about are you it. When you're getting it now? Cause I'm, I need to finish up. I think I'm getting it. it like, yeah, in the next day or two. Okay, great. Maybe next week we can. That'd do be it. really cool. All right, my pick of the week is a little less expensive than Mr. Dawson's. Um, I believe you can download the EP for $4. Uh, The group is called, uh, I think, Vallis Alps. V-A-L-L-I-S Alps, A-L-P-S. And all it is, uh, I'm talking about, uh, they had an EP from 2015 that was self-entitled. So, And it's just a really, really good trip-hop EP that stays out of your way. So for those of you that struggle practicing to a click, I encourage you to practice along to music that stays out of your way. Not only can you assume that anything trip-hop and electronic-based was probably recorded and quantized with a metronome, so it's in time, and it just gives you the opportunity to test out these ideas that you're working on with music and it, I, I find that playing along to music really lets me know like, okay, cool drum idea, horse crap, musical idea, mm. Chuck it, you know? <laughs> right. uh, so I think that that's one step that, you know, we as drum <laughs> nerds can skip is like, Well, let me play it to a song, and it's like, ah, it's kind of just us saying, like, I don't want to find out how poorly this would work with a song. I'll just keep it for me. Um, So, uh, yeah. So, check out Valles Alps EP. Uh, They have more stuff, but the 2015 one is the one I'm talking about. Why are you laughing? I've got. I mean, I'm just thinking
0: back, like, as a as a really naive, stupid 25 year old. My great idea that I remember thinking, like, I'm gonna this is gonna, gonna make my mark. Is I'm only going to keep track of the pulse internally. Everything I play is going to be abstract. Like that was how I was going to do it. Like I'm going to my <laughs> I'm going to blow people's
1: minds. They're not ready for the Dawsonator X. Made
0: absolutely no sense. I'm like, why would anyone want to listen to that? Like why?
1: <laughs> exactly. That's kind of why it's important to once you're done and you got the idea worked out and you've got it memorized and you've worked out some orchestrations. Just put on a John Mayer track and just you know find out is there any time that you would ever use this? Um, like it's, sometimes people will be like, "Hey man, I worked really hard on that YouTube video you did. Like, where would I use that?" And mm-hmm. I'm like, "Oh, in your next YouTube video." Yeah, yeah, right. That's that's the only place you would ever use that. Uh, it, that's that's drum entertainment. It's fun oh. to do that stuff, but musically or do what I did, make your own band and be like, "Hey guys."
0: I'm going to play like this the whole time. Yeah. Make some music around it. That's kind of the Um, ultimate. I mean, I think of someone like Virgil Donati, like he, his ideas are, don't fit in Western typical music. So he writes his own music. I mean, that's, he's got his own stuff and it, it makes sense. Go. We wouldn't necessarily put that in his uh, Blink-182 tribute banner or something. <laughs> Which I would love to see. All
1: right, guys. So if you have a couple thousand dollars burning a hole in your pocket, check out Mike's DPA device. And if you've got $4, then go check out my
0: recommendation.
1: All right, everybody. Have a fantastic week. <clears throat> hey, We, we, haven't, we haven't requested yeah.
0: any reviews in a while. So if anyone hasn't reviewed the show, please Go to iTunes and give us an honest review, an honest assessment. Um, Critic, you know, criticisms are welcome as well. But I think we just need to get some more words on that page, and some more people can check out the show. And you can send your questions to MD Info at moderndrummer.com, com, as well as audio questions, as well as audio of your grooves that you want us to drop in for the intro or outro. And who is our? Speaking of that, closing? who's our outro groove? So it's not Ryan. He was last week. We did kelly was our intro so it's tim tim more ambient stuff there we go does reverb
1: just equal ambience (laughs) i think so i mean i think it defines it it, doesn't it (laughs) (laughs) i don't know i i haven't looked it up i have uh oh i have so much to talk to you about (laughs)